Welcome to Education, Technology, Society, a podcast about education in the digital age. Welcome to Education, Technology, Society, a podcast about education in the digital age. Hello and welcome to Education, Technology and Society, a new podcast that takes a critical perspective on edtech, digital education and education futures. My name is Neil Selwyn. I'm a professor at Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. And today it's my immense pleasure to be catching up with Audrey Waters. Now, if you've been paying any degree of attention to education and technology over the past decade, then you'll have definitely come across Audrey's work. She wrote a really influential hack education blog for for well over a decade, which kept us up to speed with all the comings and goings in, in ed tech. She had a huge Twitter presence and was very, very quick to snipe from the sidelines and call out any ed tech wrongdoings. And in 2021, she wrote a really great book with MIT Press, Teaching Machines, The History of Personalised Learning. She was dubbed the Cassandra of EdTech and was a huge thorn in the side of EdTech bros and all EdTech evangelists around the world. A huge present and a a genuine thought leader, someone that you really look to in terms of getting a take on the latest things in the field. Anyway, a couple of years ago, Audrey quit Twitter, stopped the blog and simply moved on. So in this episode, I caught up with Audrey to hear all about her shift to now writing about fitness technologies, food and exercise. We talk about how Audrey's making sense of this new area. We talk about the similarities between fitness tech and education technology. And we also talk about Audrey's new second breakfast Substack writing project and her reflections with the benefit of hindsight about the grind of critiquing ed tech. And it was genuinely great to catch up with Audrey. She was a big part of my professional life in being a critical voice around ed tech. So it's great to follow her into this new phase of work, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. What is the second breakfast, and what's the pitch for the second breakfast? The phrase second breakfast, I think, has many origins. Um, Some people like to tie it to uh, Tolkien, and the hobbits were apparently (laughs) fond of having a second breakfast. In general, I'm a fan of a second breakfast, um, particularly now that I'm an athlete and doing my workouts um, in the mornings and then coming home ravenous and thinking about what to eat. So second breakfast, I decided to call my new newsletter, my new project, uh, Second Breakfast, and to sort of look at a whole new set of a whole new set of issues and try not to be Cassandra, although I think it's a personality trait. <laughs> but you have been drawn to thinking about technology. So, I mean, you're talking about fitness and wellness, but tech is there. And I'm really fascinated by fitness technologies. What sorts of technologies are you looking at? What sorts of technologies are we talking about? And who's selling it? And what's the market? I'm fascinated by it too. And the, for me, it's this is all, this is, all of this is a very new field of study for me. And it's fascinating to see how much the origins of many of the things that we talk about um, in education technology are shared um, across all sorts of other technologies as well, um, right? Some, there was something in the water, if you will, um, in sort of the Victorian period at the turn of the 20th century in which people in the Western world decided to measure and gadgetize everything. Um, and I think now today with sort of this rise of big tech and the, and the ways in which digital technology has permeated all sorts of our lives, I think what we're seeing is sort of this reinscription of, of a lot of these very early ideas about improvement of the body, about measuring one's movements, about optimizing that. 
we're really seeing that being um, repackaged and sold to us again with a different set of gadgets, perhaps gadgets that are shinier that come from the, the technology giants. Um, but also I think it's it's connected to, again, connected to this sort of longer history that, that I think is really fascinating. So I'm imagining kind of Garmin fitness trackers and Strava. I mean, what's, what can you give us some examples of some of the tech that you, you've either got yourself or you've become interested in? Yeah. So I think, you know, um, the big tech companies, so Apple, of course, has the Apple Watch. Google recently acquired Fitbit. Garmin um, that you mentioned has a, a different history, the one that sort of stems from GPS devices. But that's uh, that's another fitness tracker. And again, I should sort of put a little asterisk here that you know the language around this is really interesting as well. This idea of a tracker, we can see the ways in which surveillance and the kind of disciplining one's body, surveillance, some of these things that I think get talked about in education technology or should be talked about more in education technology. We see this um, with consumers being sold this idea of doing this to themselves. Um, but I think there are all sorts of other technologies as well. And we're seeing many of the traditional, I think, what we'll think of like sports companies, fitness companies, also creating apps. So also wanting to sort of get in that data extraction, data tracking. Um, so, you know, Nike, of course, makes shoes and shoes are a technology. As a runner, I can talk quite a bit now about shoe technology, but you know, Nike's also really interested in working with the fitness tracker and tracking all sorts of data. And we can sort of ask, ask why that might be. Um, but then um, there are other pieces of it that are interesting to me as well. I'm really interested in the food technology and how there's sort of this sort of Venn diagram in which we talk about food and food technologies or a way in which athletes see food as technologized. Um, so athletes will talk about food as fuel. For example, the body is a machine, food is fuel. Um, so all of that is is really interesting to me right now. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much to unpack there. Just as you were talking there, I was thinking about those Silicon Valley grifters that had, was it, it wasn't Nutribullet, there was all sorts of kind of food solutions that, you know, just get food in you as quickly as possible. That the tech bros were kind of pushing. Yes. And so I will say again, as a 50 year old, like I am a month younger than Elon Musk and Elon Musk is a month younger than Mark Andreessen. And so I think that what we're, what we're seeing, what we're going to be seeing, I think for the near future is a bunch of Gen X technology billionaires um, facing um, mortality. And we can already see the ways in which biohacking, which has been popular, I think in Silicon Valley for quite some time is really becoming more and more obsessed with longevity and so all sorts of, I think we're going to see all sorts of new technologies being sold to us, being pitched to us, really that are sort of the Mark Andreessen's and the Elon Musk's um, working out what it means to sort of have an aging body and have an aging body underneath the ideology that they are in uh, sort of, again, op, you know, optimization data data collection and tracking that we can sort of engineer our way to a, a better health and perhaps even live forever. <laughs> yes, tech will save us. Tech will save Gen X. I'm really interested in a couple of the logics that you've, you've talked there. I mean, there's data, which I think is always really important in the idea mm -hmm. of the quantified self, but also this idea of kind of behavior modification and the nudge and all these ideas about kind of optimizing. I mean, it's always awful fascinating. So, I mean, in terms of these logics, how are you making sense of these particular logics in terms of fitness 
as opposed to your previous work in education? Yeah, I mean, I think that what's sort of so surprising to me is what this sort of I feel as though I'm like unable to escape the work of B.F. Skinner. You know, I can sort of say I stepped aside from education technology and never will I have to sort of think about, you know, operant conditioning again. But this is it sort of permeates so much of tech in general. And I think it's really sort of this underlying model, which, you know, just give credit, I think shows how effective it might be in shaping our behavior. Right. And so this these nudges is sort of built into almost everything that you would use in terms of personal sort of fitness tracking. So the Apple Watch is a great example. You know, it has these circles, um, rings that you're supposed to complete every day. Uh, You're supposed to stand for a certain number of hours and move for a certain number of movement points and exercise for a certain number of minutes. And it sort of pings you on your wrist, gives you a little nudge and reminder to stand up, for example, to to move around and encourages you to keep active, which on one hand sounds great. And you can sort of see why people find this to be a very appealing system, especially with all the messaging that we are getting about, you know, about our health, about the need to move more um, fears, I think, of around obesity in the U.S. in particular. So this all sounds very appealing until you sort of realize that this is someone else's paradigm that we're being asked to sort of shape our bodies towards what works for someone else. What sort of this imagine this sort of imaginary imaginary health designed by, frankly, a, a bunch of young white men in Silicon Valley. Exactly, but a bunch of young white men in Silicon Valley that are also presumably making a shed load of money from the data because this data must be yeah. super kind of yeah, worth worth yeah. a fortune. Yeah. And I think that this is always, this is always the idea sort of, and I think that, you know, I think that for athletes, I'm seeing this as well, this idea that if we just have more data, if we just track more data that um, we'll be able to sort of fine tune our performance and enhance our performance. I think it's a very, um, it's a very attractive promise. Uh, Of course, um, individuals aren't monetizing their own data, but I think that they're being sold this idea that if you just collect all this data, right, I have a Garmin watch as a runner, and it collects an amazing amount of data about my runs, Um, you know, the number of time I spend on one leg or another, the you know, the humidity, the temperature, how far I ran, what my heart rate was. Um, and I think all of that, um, all of that is for Garmin, incredibly monetizable. Is it something that can reveal some sort of secret mystery of running to me? That I don't think we have any, I don't think we have really any clear data that says that this is actually going to give people better information about our ourselves. Yes, yeah, so it's the scientific in scare quotes promise that simply collecting loads of data will result in really good outcomes. Yeah. So I think, you know, that's the other piece of it that's really important is that that there's sort of all of the sort of pseudoscience around the data that's being tracked. So for example, you must take 10,000 steps a day. All of these watches and trackers sort of have that as a goal, um, which is a com- it's an arbitrary number. There's no evidence that says that 10,000 steps is sort of the magic number of steps a day. In fact, some research says it's far less than that. Um, but yet we still do it. And also yet we still share it with everybody else. And there are these odd logics of visibility and social sharing. I've heard friends say, if it's not on Strava, it didn't happen. I mean, how do you kind of explain that mentality about if it, you, you need the data? Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think it's other sort of piece of 
how we are increasingly sort of interested in the ways in which we're performing ourselves online, right? So we are craft, we're crafting this sort of persona um, that sort of signals to other people and perhaps to an employer, perhaps to an insurance company. Um, we're sort of, sig- we want to you know, signal that we're living the best life. Um, and I think that sort of we can see this in particular with the kind of data, the data tracking. I think that athletes, amateur athletes, unlike myself, find it, I think, very, it's uh, it's very appealing. So I mean, just you talking there, you've got a Garmin on your wrist. And you, I mean, you were a <laughs> prolific user of Twitter and you famously managed to get off Twitter. So congratulations to that. Can you see yourself ever giving up the Garmin watch? Yeah, I, th- I think that, the, I mean, I think it's, I, as I, especially as I sort of um, delve more into these things, I'm finding it very interesting to be a new person in the culture, in the running community, and listening to the stories that people tell about um, and the technologies that people adopt, um, and then asking questions about them. One of them um, that seems to be very popular in certain circles right now is the continuous glucose monitoring, for example. So a little patch that people wear that checks to see what their glucose levels are. And this is an incredibly useful technology, I think, for people who have diabetes and who do need to be tracking their glucose levels. For the rest of us, though, I I don't think it's helpful. In fact, it might be harmful. But I think that, again, these these um, the biohacking and the technology is um, it's pretty powerful within running. Um, And so, yeah, I. I would like to think of myself as being someone who can sort of let go of let go of this stuff. That said, I am right now training for a half marathon and I'm really hoping to have a PR. So um, maybe ask me in a month after my race. Well, good luck with that. But I'm also thinking um, for those of us who are quite kind of narcissistic, the idea of having, I mean, there's this compulsion that the more data, the better. But if it's actually the more data about yourself, the more you'll know yourself. There's also that kind of, um, there's that own kind of personal compulsion. You know, I, I, I want to know everything about myself. I'm, I'm, it's yeah, fascinating. Well, it's, it's so interesting because I've been, you know, as I've been sort of assigning myself these tasks of looking at different technologies, of trying some of these different technologies out. Um, with an open mind too. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe some of them work. Uh, one of the things that's funny about the Garmin watch, and I think almost all of the fitness trackers is the heart rate monitor that they use actually um, conflicts with having tattoos. Um, it can't pick up heart rate over the tattoos. And so um, I only have partial data which is an interesting sort of flaw of uh, um, in this. And because I only have partial data, None of the algorithms that sort of promise to tell you how ready you are for your day um, work properly. Um, but yeah, I've been sort of sampling with different technologies because I'd like to. I mean, I'm just I'm kind of curious, and I'm curious about the the lore and the stories that people tell about them. But so far, I've just been sort of wildly unimpressed with um, the technology. It's it's so funny that we live in this world in which. I mean, I think right now the big story, all the headlines are that is that AI is just poised to overtake everything. But actually, like in our day to day lives, almost all of the technology we use is so crappy. Like it's just so bad. And so somehow we hold those two things in our brains simultaneously that technology is all powerful, all knowing, 
going to solve all of our problems. And yet you can't even like get your bank balance half the time online because the website is so janky, right? And so it's it's funny that, you know, we, we live in this moment where we're willing to hand over all of our personal data so that we can be better people. And yet it's for, for what, really? Yeah, no, I mean, there is this odd kind of optimism that we have with technology. I mean, you say you've been wildly unimpressed with a lot of the tech. Is there anything about this tech that's actually surprised you or kind of you found joyful? I mean, something I'm trying to compare it to ed tech, which is pretty dull and pretty depressing. Is there anything <laughs> about fitness tech that's actually you, you've enjoyed or you found good? So one of the things, like I said, I think that the shoes, the shoe technology is really fascinating. And again, I think it's, it's also this idea that we have this sort of very narrow definition of what we're looking at when we talk about tech and education technology is sort of sort of does this all the time. The only technology that we can possibly think to talk about is digital technology, computer-based technology. But of course, there are other technologies and other practices that are shaped by different kinds of technologies in the classroom all the time. And so sort of it's not like are you for or against technology? I mean, that's such a silly even way to frame it. So I find the shoe technology really interesting. I find just the ability of human performance to be fascinating. Um, I'm also, as a big food fan, really fascinated right now with some of the different foods that are being engineered for athletes. I like just this the, the excuse to try a bunch of different food is fine with me. So, yeah. Excellent. And have you bought one of these kind of $700 super shoes to increase your PB by two minutes or have you resisted? I have resisted. Well, not, not entirely. Um, I, what I did last Christmas when all the shoes went on sale, I did this very obnoxious thing where I just ordered like a bunch of different shoes and did a run and then sent them back. <laughs> oh, you can do that. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Nike, they all have return policies where the shoe if you don't like it, you get a refund. And so I thought, okay, I'll try, I'll try them out. Um, and so I did settle on, um, I like the Adidas shoes, but then, oh, so this is the other piece of it. You know, everyone says running, it's such a cheap hobby, but, um, it's not because these shoes are incredibly expensive, even at the low end. And if you're doing any kind of distance training, um, I'm shocked how quickly, um i run through shoes right so that there's something for anyone that wants to kind of send stuff to you shoes is uh, always welcome I mean, a lot of people miss you in ed tech and i'm very pleased you got out <laughs> of it but just a couple of final questions for the on the ed tech thing i mean what are you definitely not missing about the ed tech beat what are you really pleased to have gotten rid of in your life it's very it, it's incredibly challenging to be cassandra um it's frustrating to have to repeat oneself again and again and again and I think that there was a, just last week, I think the UNESCO published a report that was, um, I think perhaps you blurbed it, I blurbed it. Um, it, it was said, uh, you know, that <laughs> ed tech might've actually made things worse during the pandemic. And of course, that's not the message that I think a lot of proponents of education technology ever want to hear, but it's the kind of thing that you and I would have so it could have, you know, knew from the outset, from day one, that this was, um, that um, going to school under the pandemic was awful under any circumstances. And sure, people did the best they could. But, um, but yeah, the ed tech wasn't going to be some sort of salvation, um, some sort of uh, improvement over the kind of community and um, activities that can happen in face to face. Yeah, absolutely. It's grand hope day. Yeah. So I think, you know, people ask me all the time, what do I think about chat GPT? 
And I'm like, ugh, no comment. But now I do, I got a newsletter from one of the fitness influencers talking about chat GPT created uh, workout plans. I'm like, ugh, it's everywhere. This, this it, is, it's just, it is actually, it's inescapable. I've resisted talking about chat GTP and I've quite gleefully said I've got nothing to say on the matter and it really winds people up but it's also liberating to actually think I do not have to repeat myself I know exactly yes. what you mean it's, it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, and finally I guess any any advice for people who actually have stuck in the critiquing ed tech rut I mean any words from the wise how do we how do we keep saying well one thing I will say and I, I can promise everyone I think perhaps people see this now thanks to Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter, but it is actually okay to step away <laughs> from social media. I think, again, we've been sold this idea that in order to participate as in a civically, in order to participate professionally, that we have to, we have to be involved in social media, that we have to sort of be vigilant and on the lookout for things, on, you know, and comment on things and engage with things. And I think, it's okay to step back. Um, it's okay to find other ways to sort of do your work. It doesn't. We don't have to sort of work for Elon Musk on his platform. We don't have to work on Mark Zuckerberg's platform. Your professional insights will still be found and valued. And so I think it's it's okay to to step away from social media is really i think the message that i would have that's really good piece of advice although i will depress you by saying there's been a worrying migration of people over to linkedin recently to try and use that as twitter so that's the new hellscape <laughs> but hey that's not your problem yeah. i mean thanks ever so much for doing this i mean I, we should finish by urging people who are interested to subscribe you've got a second breakfast substack i do have a substack i'm back in the you know this again these all these old-fashioned technologies called email um so you can find me on second uh, secondbreakfast.substack.com. Excellent. Well, it's really good to catch up with you again. Thank I hope you. it's a roaring success and good luck with the PB and the half marathon. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs>